Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of 2SER 107.3. Women Who Rock. Women Who Rock. Women Rock. Women Who 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 Rock. This is Women Who Rock, a podcast promoting female musicians and artists. Today, I am joined by Rose Muller from Synthpop Project Beyond. Rose, welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much for having me. Last month, you released a video for the single uh, TFW, Mm -hmm. and it is really shimmering, glittering synthpop. But you actually started by studying and performing jazz. So I'm really interested in that transition about how you went from playing in jazz ensembles to playing or to creating sort of 80s-inspired pop. Yeah, it's it's an interesting one, isn't it? Um, Yeah. So... Um, when I was at high school, I've always loved music. I've always written music. Um, and I tended to write in more of a kind of pop folk style naturally. But then in high school, um, we were, I was kind of thrown into, um, a lot of different situations, musical theater, jazz, and then kind of, I looked at uni and really the only options were either to do a music theater degree or to study jazz because even pop uh, studies tend to be quite heavily jazz-focused because of how kind of virtuosic and complex the music is. So then I found myself doing jazz. I sang for a big band for four years, and even in that role I tried to bring a lot of pop music into that, and we were doing a lot of covers of like Arctic Monkeys and like Kimbra and things like that in big band situations. So yeah, a lot of jazz. You were doing a jazz ensemble version of Arctic Monkeys? Oh, it's really cool. (laughs) It's so cool. It's actually on SoundCloud. You can go listen to all that old, old Rose um, singing big band. It's the Jackal big band. And we did um, Bet That You Look Good on the Dance Floor in like a um, really cool, um, New Orleans jazz version. So yeah, I studied um, I studied jazz at uni and I did love it, but I kind of found it a little bit stifling because they just didn't really appreciate pop. So I got to the end of the degree and was like, no, I still want to be a pop singer. I've never really thought about that concept before. The idea that if you want to study music on a tertiary level, then it's still it's really like traditional forms of music that you're studying, right? Yeah, I mean, I kind of think of something my mum used to say to me about baseball um, or softball, which is what she played at high school, which is where, like, you want to pick up as many bats as you can. Uh, so it's really, really heavy and you swing with them for a little bit and then you put all the other bats down and you just pick up one bat and it feels really light and so you can hit further. And it kind of feels like that. It's like if you're going to study, you might as well make it the most complicated thing you can. Um, and then when you choose one style, it should feel easy. Do you think there's scope for, I don't know, this is probably complicated, but expanding what you can study at a tertiary level? Do you think that there would be, it would be useful to have like a pop music tertiary degree? 
Yeah, definitely. I was kind of lumped in as a vocalist, was lumped in with every other instrumentalist. And as much as that was fantastic to be uh, learning all the same things that they were, I also kind of felt that we were assessed on the same things. And so it wasn't vocal specific and kind of storytelling wasn't a focus. Um, Now there are more courses that are focused on pop music. I studied at Monash at the time when I auditioned, there wasn't a pop course, but now there is. Um, So definitely people are starting to form an appreciation for pop that maybe wasn't there five or 10 years ago. So maybe that's what you would have studied. You would have like signed, you would have been the first one to sign up for that if that was available when you were studying your undergrad degree. Yeah, definitely. Although I think maybe I was a little bit corrupted by that anti-pop mindset at the time as well. Um, And I kind of saw myself as maybe pursuing soul or jazz or something that I deemed to be like more complicated or virtuosic or musician-ish. And so maybe I would have avoided pop in that moment. And I needed to kind of go through a jazz degree to come back to pop. And I suspect that that, I guess, at least the theoretical understanding from jazz informs your songwriting as well. Definitely. Sometimes a bit too much, actually, and I have to pull it back. Like I recently wrote a song that had all these, like the chorus modulated to a different key and then came back again. And I realized it's just kind of... (laughs) wasn't consumable but I think the knowledge of working with a whole band and creating parts that each person will be really excited to play a bass part that's exciting a keyboard part that's exciting a guitar part that's distinctive has definitely followed me um since that jazz degree so I keep composing as though I'm working with a whole band even though it's just me I mentioned before that you your last single Uh, TFW, That Feeling When. It was released at the end of last year, but you've just released the video quite recently. And I feel as though you're exploring themes in your single uh, kind of in an area that I sort of wondered about just quietly by myself. Mm -hmm. I sort of get the vibe because there's been three singles over the last year. And I'm kind of getting the vibe, particularly from the last one, that you're asking the question of whether having access to technology actually brings us closer together is that a fair assessment of the kind of questions that you're asking in your singles and if so can you give us a bit of an insight into your mindset on that question I'm 25 so I guess I've always had a mobile phone since high school and it's definitely uh, changed the way that I've built relationships a lot of it was based on kind of texting in the early days and that's a really weird way of meeting somebody tfw oddly was more about a kind of fear of missing out that came from being so surrounded by technology while i'm in a long-term relationship because it's like you're surrounded by all these images of how cool and fun and sexy it is to be single and For me, it kind of, yeah, it felt like a little bit like I was missing out. And in my relationship, it pulled me out of that from time to time and made me fantasize about maybe the grass being greener on the other side. So TFW is really more me contemplating that and how technology um, yeah, makes me kind of question my relationships and maybe not commit so much. The question is, what is the 
the strength of the relationship because I know mm. that uh, not just in a relationship like a romantic relationship but in general I guess my opinion initially was always that uh, technology is really distancing us because you know we're not really talking to people could be sitting next to each other on a couch and they're texting someone else they're not actually engaging in the moment and mm. they're not really interacting with each other but at the same time it allows you to access people that you otherwise wouldn't have had access to. So it's almost like we have more access to relationships, but they're less close. Yeah, and the, I guess well, how, my take. <laughs> what is their value if we have so many options? It's like Beyonce says, I'll have another of you in a minute. It's like, okay, you finish a relationship and you can jump on your phone and be talking to somebody new within 30 seconds you can jump Mm. onto tinder and replace that person almost automatically so it does make you kind of not value those relationships as much and so it's not just whether it's like we have too many options now um and i worry that that land of infinite opportunity is causing people to have real relationships in front of them and let them pass by like the concept you mentioned of the grass being greener yeah definitely i'd also like to thank you for quoting i think that's the first time that someone has used a quote from beyonce and <laughs> i for i'm glad that you did yeah <laughs> i don't know where that came from i think that's the first time i've ever <laughs> quoted beyonce but it just felt right sure just go with it <laughs> Um, the single that was released is called uh, TFW, That Feeling When. Mm-hmm. I would like to, let's listen to that now. Sure. And then we'll come back and have a bit more of a chat about it. Yeah, awesome. This is the most recent single from Beyond. It's called TFW.
track, the most recent single from Beyond TFW. Uh, Rose, you refer to your music as glitter pop on, I think, the Instagram. And there's definitely a very strong kind of 1980s influence. When did you fall in love with that music, from music from that era? My mum, who I'm talking about for the second time already, <laughs> um, she, like, her heyday was the 80s. So I suppose it was first introduced to me by her and she really loved artists like um, Prince and Shaka Khan and Madonna. Um, and so that was around a little bit when I was kind of in those teen formative years. Um, and eventually that became the music that I would listen to before I went out for a night out um, and I really fell in love with all the Brat Pack films and would watch them and I just loved the whole era and I loved the sound and I loved how powerful the vocals were, how big the choruses are, um, how danceable all those songs were to me and, yeah, I've just loved it ever since and I never expected that I would be doing a project that's, kind of influenced by that sound but I just love it seems like it was ingrained at a pretty young age then you've just sort of grown up with that music your whole life definitely especially Prince like I've watched all of his crazy movies that he made himself and everything it's just a very big obsession with um his music and his writing style um which is definitely very much influenced beyond so it was probably bubbling under the surface when you were learning like uh dominant ninths or something when you're doing your jazz stuff it was always kind of there underneath yeah definitely i'm actually not sure if dominant ninths is an intelligent thing to say because i don't it would be a dominant seven with a nine over the top but if you called it um like uh well no you would have to call it dominant so yeah we dominant seven add nine okay i was close yeah because i think a normal nine chord it could be misconstrued as major. So it would have to be a dominant nine. Yeah, it's all good. You're right. <laughs> I, I'm going to call it a partial credit. <laughs> no, it's full credit from me. Um, <laughs> when we were discussing the sort of themes for TFW before, I was thinking that, you know, you've kind of had this theme of exploring the idea of relationships and whether technology strengthens them or not. But all of these kind of themes from the singles that you've written and recorded was before the coronavirus times. <laughs> I'm interested to hear. So you were obviously thinking about this quite a lot before coronavirus. Mm. Has the la- events of the last couple of months changed your perception on where you sort of stood on that complicated issue? Of technology and relationships or? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I guess about the idea of whether whether technology brings us closer together or not Mm, definitely I mean off the bat I feel really really bad for anybody who's trying to form relationships especially romantic ones during this time it must be just incredibly hard without the ability to meet somebody and talk to them in person um without a doubt we're the most connected we've ever been um but for me my online relationships have never been the thing that has helped me feel connected to somebody. It's seeing them in person. Definitely the music video has a new relevance that I didn't expect for it to get where it's kind of me dancing around a house on my own, picking between these kind of 
online relationships um, and that is reality for a lot of people now. I feel as though before this I didn't really understand the concept of introvert and extrovert. Mm. I didn't really know why people, that some people just like being alone and by themselves they can't really, it's not really good for them. Mm. But I guess now I'm sort of starting to understand that. Where do you think you fall? Good question. I think introvert, I think I'm quite happy being by myself. I'm an only child, so I spent a lot of time by myself when I was very little, so I guess uh, I haven't been struggling with this as much as what a lot of people have been. Yeah. Um, I saw, and yeah, I mean, there's a lot of really complicated issues that it's raised, and it's also, I guess, a new society has never really dealt with having this level of technology but also having this bizarre situation where you can't go outside. <laughs> yeah, it's pretty weird. Um, I definitely would call myself an extrovert. I think I get energy from being around other people and I've had many a group Zoom chat um, and mm. it, it kind of it's not really as fulfilling as seeing people in real life to me. I, um, I guess on the topic of these unprecedented times, I very much appreciated that you shared something that Alan Kohler said on your Twitter about, <laughs> the, about the economy. Yes. And I saw that you, uh, yeah, you retweeted something about the concept of playing gigs in this kind of time. Have you done a gig where you like live streamed to Facebook Live or something over the last month? No. Oddly, I do actually think it would really suit my music. I mean, it makes so much sense thematically, um, but I haven't quite gotten my head around, again, as an extrovert, I wouldn't be getting any energy from the audience. And I think that is going to be the hardest part for musicians who really feed off of um, a mood and a vibe that they're getting from the crowd. I think that's Mm. going to be really, really difficult. I haven't done one yet, but I think I will. Okay. I actually noticed that were I really like Conan O'Brien. Yeah. And I thought that a lot of the American shows, those uh, like uh, late night shows, they're kind of just doing it from their lounge room now. Yeah, I've been enjoying that too. I've been watching a lot of Colbert. Ah, okay. I went back through all the ones that he did with Jacinda Ardern a while ago, not from his home, just in general because she's really good. Um, But it's very interesting to see them say something really funny and then it's just silence because they're just – in their living room by themselves speaking it into a laptop. So I guess it would be the same thing with comedy as well where they wouldn't – it would be so hard to judge if you're killing or if you're bombing because you don't get that feedback. Yeah, and people can just leave the feed whenever they want and come back. And so you'd be watching that number on the screen trying to gauge the success of your performance and I think that that could be quite so psychologically uh, stressful. It's also a very extreme form of multitasking, trying to engage with comments whilst playing your music. Yeah. They, I just, <laughs> you, you just couldn't. Also, the sound mm. quality is surely awful. Has anyone got a platform where you can do a live performance and route it through some kind of a mixer? Like would it sound any good or are we talking about literally putting our phone on Instagram live here? And I guess the it's also dependent on the quality of the microphone too. Mm, absolutely. Maybe some, maybe some artists have a proper setup where they 
you know, they're like miking the bass drum and they've got it all set up, but others, I guess, just have an iPhone and then that's it. I saw Anna Laverty, um, who's a producer, posted a picture of Lady Gaga singing into the wrong side of a $20,000 microphone on oh, um, that big benefit concert that she did recently. Um, and she said, if that's not an argument for great sound engineers, I don't know what is. <laughs> yeah, that's a great justification for her job. How embarrassing. <laughs> but, like, yeah, it's crazy. So people are going to these lengths, huge lengths to get great sound at home. Um, I don't know if it's possible in a live stream. I didn't know that you could spend $20,000 on a microphone. <laughs> I can believe it. Yeah, we're all learning, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> there, there's another issue. I mean, I mentioned Alan Kohler before because we kind of tied up in this issue of streaming from your home mm-hmm. is the idea, I mean, there's also, there's an economic issue as well, right? There's no door fee if someone's seeing your Instagram stream. Yeah, a few artists um, have started kind of being vocal about that. Where do, you, where do you sit on that debate? Should should instrumentalists be giving their music and their performances away for free? I guess I love and worship Bandcamp. Mm-hmm. I saw there's a Sydney artist called Bonnie Songs. Uh, she's on a label called Artist Catharsis. I really like her music. I really like her her whole approach. And so what she did was when she's done a live, I think there's a function through Bandcamp where you can, I think it's through the merch part. Mm. So you put uh, somehow in the merch part, you put up, it's like a $1 fee to watch online. And I th- I actually thought that was quite a good idea mm. that you, you're not charging someone $40 or something. But I think there's just, I don't actually know if it's compulsory or not, but there's the option. The link is just there to to spend one dollar to watch the half hour concert. Yeah, it's like a even a pay what you want would be a great idea. And people who this is a double edged sword because people are affected um, on both sides. Musicians are really affected, but everyday people who might attend gigs are also affected financially right now. And music. Mm usually during this time brings people together and gives them something to escape with. Um, and I personally wouldn't want to be charging too much if it could mean that I'm locking somebody out from that experience. So maybe a pay what you can system would be a good one. And then people who are doing well and wish to support that musician um, can do so. And people who maybe aren't in a position to do that can still enjoy the music. And, yeah, I mean, to be honest, I kind of feel as though – so I've been very fortunate because uh, science doesn't stop because of the coronavirus, so I haven't really been impacted in terms of my job. Mm-hmm. I sort of feel as though there's uh, – the onus is on people like me to support more now than they otherwise have been. I mean, you can't really make anyone do anything, but I feel as though – I mean, I went on a band camp spree when they had the uh, 100% of money going to artists. Yeah, I was bummed that I didn't have any kind of merch that I could have up during that time. Um, but I'm yeah. so glad that they did that. I think maybe they could have done it for more days than just one, I reckon. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's a complicated issue. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I do like your suggestion of pay what you can. I think I was talking to Kira Peru about that on Twitter, actually. She's been... 
I don't know whether she meant to or not, but has kind of found herself as the mouthpiece for a lot of gigging musicians during this time. Um, so I've been kind of watching her Twitter and um, seeing how she's been updating kind of the music crowd and talking about these sorts of issues because someone like her especially, she's able to make a living full-time doing what she does. For someone like me, losing my um, live gigs hasn't made an impact on my life the way that it has probably for somebody who is a full-time musician. Yeah, so there's, I mean, it's almost like both side of the supply and demand is impacted in a varying way. Yeah, and I mean, I'm sure all industries are dealing with that, not just music. But I think musicians also fall in a strange place in, in terms of defining their employment, being self-employed. So I don't know if the government's really doing very much to save the live industry at a time like this. Yeah, I, I don't know a lot about the policy, but I've, I understand that it didn't really fall into the JobKeeper Mm, I did actually, speaking of my Twitter, I did also repost um, the ABC stats where they break down um, how each industry in Australia has been affected by COVID-19. And we are, the arts and recreation services are operating at only 47% of what they used to, whereas something like construction um, and real estate and finances are all running still at like 95% capacity, we are one of the hardest hit industries. Mm. So um, it's going to be really interesting to see um, if the government does kind of help us out. Sorry, we've gone on a bit of a tangent here. (laughs) But, yeah, I really hope they do. It's very interesting times and I just, yeah, hope and appreciate everyone who's paying money to see people live streaming. Yeah, definitely. Um, I think we're going to have to work really hard as artists to add value as much as we can in that world because there are so many live performances available for free on YouTube and stuff like that. So I think the challenge is going to be on artists to um, create uh, a really special environment that feels like one-off and feels very exclusive so that people can really see the value in watching a live stream. So maybe that's going to really spur on people's creativity to make the newest form of live streaming experience oh i really really hope so it'll be like a watch this space kind of moment because i don't think we'll have live gigs back this year to be honest we are living through musical history yeah we love It is time for Tell Me a Thing, where I have a list of seven topics and I ask you to tell me something about one of them. The topics are musical equipment, recording equipment, Patti Smith, poetry, punk rock, death, and politics. (laughs) So, Rose, can you please tell me a thing? Okay, I'm going to tell you a story about musical equipment. Okay. Um... I did my final gig before COVID uh, shut everything down in February. It was a wedding gig where the sound engineer was someone who I hadn't seen in years and years. 
Um, and at that gig, he'd brought all of his own microphones and everything. And I used this insane, really expensive microphone. Um, and he usually sound engineers for a venue that just got shut down during COVID. So he allowed me to keep an $800 Newman Berlin microphone uh, because he said that it wasn't going to get used in a long time. And the irony of it is that I can't use it either. (laughs) Oh, no, because of the cable or something? No, because I'm not doing any live gigs. Oh, I see. see. (laughs) But it's very, very beautiful. I'm holding it with me now and it's absolutely gorgeous. But it was just a really nice story of human kindness and I don't know how long I'm going to have this microphone for. I hope I get some use out of it before I eventually hand it back to him. Can you record something with it? I wonder. I think I saw Nina Nesbitt recording like a YouTube video singing into this. So maybe I could actually use it for recorded music. It'd be it'd be overkill for a podcast, right? <laughs> <laughs> maybe, but it would look beautiful. Maybe I can record a little something for you, like a promo or something into it. I feel as though that, okay, yeah, I'm not against that at all. <laughs> <laughs> there you go. Um, and it will all the, tie in if you listen to the full podcast. Yeah. Um, I feel as though that must be a famous microphone because I think I've heard of that. It's so beautiful. Um, it's got this kind of double windshield thing happening where you can kind of see through the first one into the second one. It's just a really beautiful effect. And, um, okay. yeah, they've, I think they've been making microphones for a really long time. And it's just really pretty. It kind of feels like something, I don't know, like – um, the Rolling Stones would have used or something. It's really beautiful to look at. What are the chances that your friend remembers that they gave you this beautiful microphone I before actually, anything happened? Looking at it, I get this weird feeling that it's mine now. Okay. Like I just have this weird feeling that when is he going to call me to get this back? I mean, I absolutely will give it back. Don't get me wrong. But, um, yeah, I just got the, kind of got this weird feeling that, He's just a really, really lovely person and just wanted me to have it. Okay. I guess the length of time you get to keep it would depend on whether they listen to this podcast or not. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe I'll send it to them just as a thank you so that they know that even though I didn't sing into it, it got a hero spot in a podcast. Yeah. <laughs> um Rose, thank you so much for coming on the podcast and talking about some issues which I think are very complicated, but it's really good for us to to discuss. Yeah, I loved it. Thank you so much, Matt. Women Who Rock is proudly produced in the Sydney studios of Do As We Are 107.3.